Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one bestseller, The Code Breaker. Are you sick and tired of the medical merry-go-round? Are you looking for a potential solution to your health problem? Be sure and listen to our podcast, The Code Breaker. So I don't know about you, but when I woke up this morning, it felt a little bit different, didn't it? I'm not talking about the weather outside, which is amazing. It feels like fall, but something felt different this morning especially welcome to game week this is the rebel report podcast i'm michael borky thank you for making the show a part of your day on the first monday of game week for the 2020 season there were times where i didn't think we were we were going to get here i told you this before i really didn't think for a little while we were going to have this And after a few weeks of college football season without the SEC, we get it back this week, and it feels so very good. It is great to be with you. Don't forget to go by LB's. You've got games this weekend. Go by LB's. See Greg. Tell him we sent you. Watch your Ole Miss Rebels. But get your weekend started behind the grill, and the best place to do that in Mississippi is LB's just across from Kroger on University Avenue. And get one of their daily lunch specials, uh, support uh, a local business, go by, see Greg, tell him we sent you, and uh, yeah, enjoy your football starting with LBs, and my friends, it feels so good to actually have game week here, and it's nice, so I said this earlier uh, on the radio show, I guess yesterday, um, I'm glad I don't have to pretend like I care about these crappy games that we've seen over the last couple of weeks. Like, I know it's football and we should be happy it's football and just be thankful that we've got games to watch and all that stuff. I just don't care about South Florida and Notre Dame or Tulsa and Oklahoma State. You know, I mean, I watched because it's football and it was pretty good in some cases. Like the opening weekend, there was a handful of pretty good games. But at the end of the day, it just isn't the same. Louisiana and Iowa State, while it was an upset and kind of interesting, does nothing for me. And I'm glad I can finally say that out loud without feeling like a jerk. I'm glad I don't have to pretend to care about these games that we've been forced to watch over the last couple of weeks. And Saturday especially uh, was just not good. Just simply not good. And again, I'm glad I don't have to pretend like I care about that anymore. I mean, the over-under for Tulsa-Oklahoma State was like 66, and the final score was like 16-7 to or something like that. I should probably have that up in front of me, but the slate was terrible. I mean, even Miami-Louisville, which is the only decent game of the weekend, at least on paper, uh, wasn't worth your time. So forget it. I'm done, and I'm glad that we finally have this slate to look at, and it's a damn good one. Here are the lines, if that's something you're interested in. Here are the lines... Um, yeah, you've seen some offshore stuff. Uh, these are starting to, to kind of roll in uh, right now as far as game week goes. I know a lot of books have decided to uh, stay away from from putting lines online until really game week just so we have uh, a more or a better understanding, I should say, of you know who's going to be available and who isn't uh, for COVID reasons. But we have some lines coming up uh, this weekend. So Florida right now. I'm looking at a, uh, a local book here in Mississippi. Uh, 14.5-point favorite over Ole Miss. Uh, Kentucky is an 8-point dog at Auburn. You have 
Um, Got to scroll down here. They, I wish they could separate these by conference. Georgia's a 26.5-point favorite over Arkansas. Alabama's a 29-point favorite over Missouri. Tennessee is a three-point favorite at South Carolina. That feels low to me. Texas A&M, a 30-point favorite over Vanderbilt. Uh, Mississippi State and LSU, that's a 19.5-point line uh, that you can get right now in favor of of the Bulldogs, and I think I covered all of them. Again, I wish I could sort them based on conference, but this app uh, does not let me do that. Either way, so 14.5 points uh, for Ole Miss and Florida. But how about that slate? You know, significantly better than what we've had over the last couple of weeks. 14.5 points. Um, I've been preaching about it, as you guys have heard, for a while now about week one underdogs. I think the playing field has been leveled somewhat because of COVID and the weird offseason and stuff like that. And underdogs have been the play. They've been the smart play so far, especially in college football uh, in opening games for these teams. And I, I'm going to apply that same principle this weekend. Going to take a look at Florida and all that stuff here in a little bit. But I do think, just from a gambling perspective, that even though, I mean, technically we don't know who's going to start at quarterback for Ole Miss, I mean, it's a new staff, it's a new system. Uh, I think when I look at this slate and the the pretty significant gap in some of these lines, I think underdogs, by and large, are going to be your play. And that directly applies to Ole Miss. So I'm going to do picks on Friday, but there's a a teaser for you. I'm going to take Ole Miss and probably Mississippi State to cover those big lines just because of what I've seen from the rest of college football and how these opening games have worked out, especially from the Mississippi State-LSU side. There is far less we know about LSU uh, than even Florida, who lost some significant pieces last year. So, if you've been taking my advice, you've been winning money as long as you're, you know, taking most of them. But uh, in this case, I think I'm still going to ride it until I'm told otherwise. Uh, but yeah, there are your lines for opening weekend, and that's just one book. Uh, one book in Mississippi. I'm seeing uh, somebody that covers Arkansas, for example, tweet week one SEC lines. I don't know where she's getting them, but it's. Kind of different than what I said. So, for example, Georgia's 24.5, Florida's 13, Auburn's still 8, LSU 18.5, Bama 28. I mean, it it's varying slightly um, just based on where you look, uh, I guess. Also, it's I can't imagine how difficult it is uh, to handicap these opening games, all things considered. Um, I cannot imagine it's easy for them to do. So, uh one of the few times I don't envy somebody that works for a Vegas book, considering how good they are at their job. All right, let's look at Florida, though. This is what you're here for, right? The uh, week one actual uh, game preview. For the first time this year, we actually get to do this instead of talking about absolutes and all that. We're talking football now. Uh, so let's do that right now. Florida, uh, obviously coached by Dan Mullen. Uh, like I said, very different than LSU. Largely intact from a coaching staff perspective. It's going to be Dan Mullen's offense. Todd Grantham is still going to be the defensive coordinator. He's got a knack for being really aggressive. You guys have seen it when he was at Mississippi State for his short time. Uh, He loves to dial up blitzes. He's very aggressive as a play caller defensively. And Florida last year had an extremely, extremely good defense. They were uh, top 10 in scoring defense, top 10 in rushing defense. They were top 35 in passing defense. They were top 10 in total defense. It was a really, really, really good defensive football team a year ago. And there is a lot more known about them than Ole Miss. And usually I would say that that's an advantage for Florida, but I think that gives 
Ole Miss an advantage. And here's what I mean by that. It's not something that you haven't heard from me before, but since this is game week, have some new audience, I'm sure. It bears repeating that I think Ole Miss has an advantage here because there is question marks and unknown. How big of an advantage? I'm not really sure because Todd Grantham is one of the best, but uh, Ole Miss knows that Kyle Trask is going to play quarterback for Florida. Ole Miss knows that it's going to be Damon Pierce running the football. They know who Kyle Pitts is. They, they're very well aware of what Florida's got. And while Ole Miss is using pieces that played a year ago, um, it, it's different now because Florida doesn't technically know who's going to start at quarterback. I'm sure they've heard what everybody else has heard, and they're probably expecting Matt Corral to be the starter, but they don't know for sure, and so they have to prepare for what a Plumlee-led offense is going to look like. Ole Miss doesn't have to do that. They don't know what kind of defense they're going to see from uh, Chris Patridge and DJ Durkin. Those are the kind of things I'm talking about when I say it's an advantage. I don't know how big of one it is, but I do think that Ole Miss does have some kind of an edge because there's a little bit of unknown. You don't know what the Kiffin offense at Ole Miss, which is really going to be Kiffin-Levy offense, is going to look like. So Florida has to do more preparation, and there's more doubt from them going into the game uh, than on the other side. I think that does give Ole Miss a bit of an edge. We'll see how much of uh, one it actually is, but I do think like if you're going down the list, and how some people do in their preview pieces, like offensive line advantage Ole Miss or Florida, I think this offseason, the unknown for at least this game gives Ole Miss a slight advantage because there's just a little bit more of doubt of what they're going to do versus the other side of the field when you're pretty well aware of the kind of... You definitely know what kind of offense and defense you're going to see, and you're pretty well aware of the kind of pieces you're going to see as well. But Florida still does have some holes to fill. So they, like I said, they return Kyle Trask, who would have been my pick for preseason All-SEC. Only has one year as a starter, but that was a really good year. And if you look at his games last year... Played well in their two losses. They actually lost those games really because of defense. Kyle Trask was good in their close loss to Georgia and their kind of close loss. It was, you know, a game there for a little while. LSU pulled away late. Trask was good, even in the losses. Had a very good year last year. So he would have been my uh, first team All-SEC guy. They've got an NFL player, possibly even the first tight end to come off the board in Kyle Pitts. They've got... uh, Pierce, the running back, who's a good player, who showed you that last year. They return a duo of linebackers that are are very, very good. Uh, Possibly the best duo of them in the SEC, save for maybe Alabama. Really good linebackers there. They should be good in the secondary. Uh, Florida, the back end of the defense, is going to be very, very good. And you know that because you've seen it and they have experience. But they lost a ton, a ton offensively. They lost LaMichael Pirine. The really good running back they lost. I think four senior wide receivers, including Van Jefferson, who's already making noise in the NFL. They lost an experienced uh, starting center. They did lose a linebacker. I just said how their linebacker core is going to be very good. Believe me, it will be. They did lose one uh, a year ago. They lost a couple of defensive linemen that were really impactful last year. So we know a lot about Florida, but there's still some holes that they've got to fill. And so we'll see how impactful those losses uh, really are. Uh, Florida, like I said, is going to be good, uh, especially at the skill positions with quarterback and running back and tight end. And they've got one really good wide receiver. Like I said, they lost four wide receivers, but they've got a good one in Grimes 
Uh, he was almost a thousand yard receiver last year in Ohio State transfer for what that's worth, but he's been at Florida for a little while. Uh, but that's really it as far as experience or anything like that in the receiver group. It's him and a bunch of guys that uh, have had limited playing time, uh, no starts or not full-time starters anyway at wide receiver, just Grimes coming back. And that's really about it. On the offensive line, uh, they have a Mississippi State's transfer, Stuart Reese. If you remember, um, that was kind of unexpected because he had been a starter for a long time, I think three years at Mississippi State, uh, transferred to play his final year with his brother who's on the roster at Florida and, of course, his former coach uh, in Dan Mullen. Uh, they are potentially moving some guys around that played guard last year to tackle. There's some pieces, uh, some shuffling going on on that offensive line And it's a unit that wasn't particularly great last year. Um, Even though they lose a really good running back in the Michael P. Ryan, uh, they were not a good rushing offense last year. In fact, they were uh, 107th in the country in rushing offense. So so they did not run block particularly well for a, a duo of pretty good and talented running backs. Really struggled running the ball, and that's a good thing for Ole Miss. If it's a team that struggled running the ball a year ago, that's kind of like Weakness on weakness, because Ole Miss's defensive line, though they got Sam Williams back, um, is one of the big question marks for that team moving forward. So maybe that neutralizes that some, is knowing that Florida was not a good rushing team a year ago, and Ole Miss has some serious questions they have to answer on the defensive line for uh, whatever that may be worth uh, to you. Uh, defensively, they're they're going to be strong in the secondary, like I said. They have a duo of uh, of corners uh, that are lockdown potential type guys. You've got um, Marco Wilson. Um, I think I'm saying his name correctly. Kair Elam. Uh, Abe Elam's kid. Uh, so that might date some of you, depending on uh, how old <laughs> how old some of you are. But that's a duo of, um, of cornerbacks that a lot of people think is going to be uh, one of the best in the SEC, if not the country. Their entire secondary is experienced. Uh, Brad Stewart. They don't list him as a returning starter in some of these preview magazines, but uh, he was a starter by the end of the season last year. They have um, a free safety in Sean Davis, who's experienced, who was a starter last year, had over 50 tackles, was fourth on the team in tackles last year. So Florida's secondary, their linebackers, uh, James Houston, Ventrell Miller, uh, those are going to be two really, really good middle linebackers and very, very good in the back end of the defense. So throwing the football is going to be tough for Ole Miss, and that's going to be the key to the game, right, is if they can establish the run with Florida's inexperienced defensive line, they're replacing a couple of guys, um, that's going to be the key. If Ole Miss can run the football, maybe open some things up in the secondary to try to at least get one-on-one matchups with that really talented secondary, that's what they're going to have to do. Luckily for Ole Miss, of course, as you guys know, they have a stable of running backs that's uh, extremely good. I think, well, what was it, Lindy's, I told you guys a few weeks ago, had uh, Ole Miss's running backs number 12 out of 14 in the SEC, and that's just so, 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 so wrong. Uh, and they're going to prove it. And the offensive line's going to be better, or at least that's what they think internally, going to be better than people are giving it credit for entering this season. Uh, I know there was, there was an opt-out from a returning starter at center, but... Um, they are very comfortable and confident with the five that they do have. Um, 
so yeah, that's that's kind of the conversation coming out of camp is they they believe, especially in a couple of them, uh, to be future NFL guys. But uh, depth is a concern. But they do believe in that unit uh, to be better than people are giving it credit for. And it's a good time to get a team like Florida as they're replacing two uh, of their defensive ends from last year. And then there's still the COVID question. Uh, have not seen any clarity on that. And I, I don't think, again, I don't think we're going to get it. But how many of these guys that I just mentioned for you, I mean, talk about the quarterback and the running backs and all that stuff, all these guys that I say are going to be good players and you're going to see on Saturday and Ole Miss has to do this, this, and this. But what happens if they can't play? Uh, because Florida had six positives, and you don't know how many people came into close contact with those six positives. I have no idea, and nobody else does either. And, of course, you're not going to get much uh, reporting on that as well. It's just not going to happen. But that's something to keep an eye on. I don't think we're going to know until Saturday when the teams are out there for warm-ups. But as long as Ole Miss can stay clean on the COVID front, I think we'll get another update at some point this week about their latest round of testing, but if Ole Miss can stay clean on that front, there's another advantage for you. Uh, I think the unknown, like I said before, is it can be, maybe not is, but can be in Ole Miss's favor as long as they themselves are prepared to play, but uh, at least Todd Grantham has to prepare for both. Uh, maybe they've heard the same things that we've heard, and maybe they're only preparing for Corral, but I doubt it. They have to get ready for both. I do think that can possibly be an advantage for Ole Miss. This one definitely is. Uh, Multiple positives within their program. And uh, we will see exactly who those guys uh, are uh, come game day. And on top of that, as of this recording, we're still waiting for an answer on Otis Reese. Ole Miss would feel much better about their secondary if he could get cleared. And the fact that he still isn't cleared, like I tell you all the time, um, it's just, it's a disservice to the kid. And it doesn't make any sense anyway, considering that uh, the NCAA has already decided that the year doesn't matter. They've told everyone that the year doesn't matter and they still have hanging over his head on game week whether or not he'll be able to play as of this recording on, on Monday morning. So we'll keep an eye on that, of course, as well. But Ole Miss would feel much better about their secondary if he can find a way uh, to win his waiver after he transferred in January. So anyway, there's your quick look at Florida. Uh, we're going to do more of that as the week goes on. Uh, I've been promising you this for a couple of weeks. We'll have somebody that covers the team uh, for an interview this week to talk about Florida and his expectations and stuff like that for this team. But I think really what it comes down to for Ole Miss, obviously just being prepared to play. You saw a situation with Navy a couple weeks ago, and I told you about Kiffin's answer. I think I even played it for you. When it comes to having his team ready for this game in particular, that doesn't sound like that's something that you have to be worried about when it comes to your team when they play Florida is not having done enough tackling and blocking and being physically prepared to play the game. But um, if Matt Corral is the guy... uh, We'll see when the lights come on because apparently he's had a good camp and, and stuff like that. And you know, I, I've heard people say that he didn't show you anything last year. And again, I don't know what people are watching when they say stuff like that. Was he great? No. Was he good? At times, even no. But if you say that you watched every game closely last year 
and you watched Matt Corral, even though he was getting, and Plumlee too, they both were just getting dragged around with an incompetent uh, two-quarterback system, and neither of them were really given opportunities to get in rhythms and stuff like that. But if he is in fact your guy, then what you saw last year was somebody that did have upside to be a good SEC quarterback. Again, I don't know what people are are seeing when they say that the talent, they didn't see the talent there. The talent is absolutely there. The arm strength is absolutely there. He's a good enough athlete to do it. What he's got to get better at is decision-making, and last year was his first real game action as a college football player in a system that didn't fit his style whatsoever, but that is something he's got to get better at, his decision-making, and then... He would abandon um, he would abandon his fundamentals, basically, in the pocket, in rush throws and things like that. That's why he saw some inconsistency. Looked like he was rushing things somewhat. If the game slows down for him a little bit, and you know he's getting better quarterback coaching right now than he got last year or the year before. I mean, that's, that's, there's no doubt about that. But if he can make better decisions and settle down a little bit and let the game come to him, he has the potential of being a high-level quarterback that's how talented he is I don't know what people are watching when they say that he didn't show that last year he showed it it wasn't consistent enough but he showed it and so if that if that's able to happen Ole Miss has a really good chance at winning yes I know I just said Florida secondary is elite level they are a couple of really good linebackers I like Kyle Trask but Florida has some holes on the offensive line and on the defensive line Ole Miss has offensive personnel that can compete with a team like Florida. There's a chance, but it's going to come down to whoever wins the quarterback job uh, and their ability to take a step forward. It's a tough ask in an offseason that was like this one, but that's what it's going to come down to, is can they run the ball effectively, get some one-on-one matchups on the outside, and can your quarterback, whichever one it is, take a step forward from a year ago if it's Plumley, can he effectively throw the ball down the field? And if it's Corral, which most people think it's going to be, is his decision-making improved? Is he rushing passes? If that's not the case, if he has gotten better, then Ole Miss has a real shot in this thing. Two-touchdown underdog, that's, that's okay. There's a shot there if he can take a step forward. Or if Plumley can take a step forward if he happens to, to win the job. There's an opportunity there. So I'm looking forward to it. I mean, this might be... Tell me if I'm crazy. I think this might be the most interesting season in Ole Miss football history. I mean, I guess it's kind of obvious now that I think about it, right? Because with COVID and the 10-game SEC-only schedule and stuff like that and the fan capacity being what it is, I've never been, and this is my 10th year affiliated with Ole Miss, 11th year affiliated with Ole Miss one year or another. Um, And I've never been more interested in a football season than I am this one. With Kiffin and the quarterback situation and the SEC schedule and and all that, I'm more interested in how this goes than I ever have been before. And it's sad because the, the fan excitement around Kiffin was unlike I've anything I've seen before there either. I mean, you're even talking about early Hugh Freeze. Of course, after he won the Sugar Bowl, he was basically a god, but there was always that cloud, and you know he loved that. There was always that cloud above the program. Even when they won that Sugar Bowl, you knew that there was some kind of investigation ongoing. 
even though internally they downplayed it to the media, it, you knew that was still going on. So even that felt weird. The Seeing the thousands of people go to the pavilion that day that Kiffin was uh, hired and the, the tarmac thing and that weird guy with the baby in the burner phone, I have never seen anything like that before. And this season, I mean, was going to be awesome with the, the trip to Houston and I mean, you'd have taken 40,000-plus Ole Miss fans of that game, I think. I mean, I really do. And that would have been a really winnable game to open the season. And then you come back with an FCS game. I mean, there would have been a real opportunity with the roster and stuff for Ole Miss to win six, seven games and have sold-out stadium every single Saturday. And COVID just blew that all up. And now I'm seeing this morning that the Florida game's not even sold out yet. And a lot that's bothered a lot of people. So we've gotten text into our show uh, from – uh, season ticket holders that either opted out of this season and move their money over to next season or are just outright mad at the prices to these games. I mean, it's like $115 a ticket, but then you have to give some kind of donation to the Athletics Foundation, and they, they it's a lot of money to bring a family of four to a game. It's like a 1000 bucks now to bring a family of four to a game this season, and people are really mad about that. But the thing is, as frustrating as that may be, on one hand, they were hoping that they could get 14,000 people or whatever it is that would be willing to pay those kind of prices for the game. But at some point, it has to be worth it to have fans at the game. And they have to find a way to make money somehow. I know it's frustrating, but I think a lot of people don't quite understand how much of a hit they have taken and they will take, even though football season's being played. It's losses in the millions upon millions of dollars. And so they have to find a way to make up as much money as possible. And if they can only have 14,000 people at the game, they've got to find a way to maximize that revenue. And if that prices some people out, that is unfortunately something that they they have to do this year uh, because COVID has screwed everything up. And so I, I know that, I mean, there are some tickets still available. I'm interested to see what they do if they can't sell them all if they bring prices down moving forward or something like that. But this is not Keith Carter holding up his middle fingers at his fan base. Uh, This is them trying to survive. They are not pricing you out for any other reason other than survival. And I know a lot of people are upset about that. That's not what they're doing. They, They just have to find a way to make money here because COVID has screwed everything up. I have noticed, I don't know if it's just on TV or not, but the few games that I've been able to watch that have real fans in the stands, um, that the atmospheres haven't been all that terrible. I mean, even Cleveland, uh, Thursday night when they hosted Cincinnati, only had 6,000 people in the stadium, but just the presence of fans uh, made the game feel at least a little bit more normal than the games that I've watched without them. So if you're one of those 25 percenters that are actually getting to go to the game Um, You can still make a little bit of an atmosphere. No, it's not the same. And it'll probably feel weird like getting super into a game when there's nobody around you, you know, but you've got to make noise for four if you're one of those people that that, that get to go. I mean, you've got to maximize your vocal cords here. Get warmed up somehow. I mean, you're not going to be talking all day in the Grove. So find a way to uh, get those things warmed up and yell for four. Uh, Create some kind of an atmosphere because uh, they're dependent on you. And um, that is going to be weird, though. I wonder if that's also... Actually, I don't wonder. I know that that's also a contributor to to some people not getting tickets because 
I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but Oxford's in the middle of nowhere. I mean, the closest metro area is Memphis, and that's an hour drive. But, I mean, if you've got an Ole Miss fan, like one of my neighbors down the street has a big Ole Miss flag out in front of his house right now. Um, He's got the athletic department, like donation, what's it called? The Ole Miss Athletic Foundation stickers on his car and everything. He very clearly is a guy that gives money to Ole Miss. If you're him, I mean, you may still want to go to the game, but you don't drive two and a half hours one way just for the game. You go for the entire experience. And when you take most of that experience away, some people are going to be less motivated to to pay for tickets. So I know that's also a contributing factor. Um, the article didn't say how many uh, Ole Miss actually has, uh, has left, but they're expensive as hell. I mean, more expensive than usual. And it's simply just because they have to try uh, to recover their money from COVID. I don't think this is going to be something that they do a lot moving forward. Keith Carter seems to get it, but if you're one of those that are frustrated, just know that it's only survival and it's not trying to price you out or a greedy thing. It's a survival thing. And of course, we got a lot of time this week uh, to discuss this game further and things like that. I'll keep an eye out in case anything changes from a uh, ticket perspective. Um, I've noticed that on the radio show, a lot of people use us like as their messenger when it comes to stuff like that. So, um, yeah, they're still available. If you want to go to the game, as of this morning, I did see uh, a link that said that you could still buy tickets and go to the game. I don't know how many are left. I can't imagine it's all that many, but you uh, you can do that. So, yeah, they're online. You can go to the game. Again, make some noise for four because they're going to need you. And uh, we'll spend a lot of time, obviously, this week talking about this game and look at some of the other ones around the SEC as well. Enjoy your Saints tonight. Hopefully you're not listening on Tuesday. You can maybe tell me what happened. But uh, Monday Night Football, the Saints are opening the Roomba there uh, in Las Vegas. No fans in that brand-new stadium. But um, enjoy that. I'm looking forward to it. This past weekend in the NFL was awesome. Um. I'm not going to get into, uh, you know, whether or not or why you should or shouldn't be boycotting if that's your thing. But if you are, uh, you're missing out on some really good football. These first two weeks have been great. Uh, Pats, Seahawks last night was good. You had some drama and Chiefs, Chargers in your midday game. It's been really fun. So I've enjoyed uh, the game so far. You've got another big one tonight. We'll see if Drew Brees uh, actually tests uh, a defense down the field, unlike what he did last week. No Mike Thomas uh, for the Saints. So uh, this is why you sign a guy like Emmanuel Sanders. Time for him to step up and uh, be the WR1 uh, for this team for at least this week and probably next week as well. So enjoy that. Take the Saints because I'm a homer. No matter what the line is, just take them. Uh, Houdat and all that good stuff. Thank you for making the podcast a part of your day. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Borky. Go by LBs and see Greg and tell him we sent you. And it's game week. So let's enjoy it. Looking forward to uh, continuing to preview this game as the week goes on. But for now, have a great week, and I'll talk to you again on Wednesday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.